0: Okay, welcome back to another edition of the gold mine podcast. And I'm proud to have one of our long time contributors to Goldmine, John Borak. And John does our column called power pop plus. And he's been doing it for years online, you should visit it GoldmineMag.com. But John is definitely one of our resident Beatles experts. And he has a new Beatles book out. And John, I would love if you can explain that um,
1: a little bit about the book and how it came to be. Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast, Pat. It's always great to chat with you. Uh, The book is titled The Beatles 100, and it is subtitled 100 Pivotal Moments in Beatles History. So what I do is I take 100 different moments in the career of the group and also in their solo careers and their personal lives, whatever, 100 different moments and rank them one to 100 in order of what I feel their importance is. Right. And it came about for a, a number of reasons. Number one, um, due to my love of the Beatles and their music, a uh, longtime fan, uh, I've been writing about them for Goldmine for years, as, as you mentioned. And I also love making lists and people enjoy reading lists. And I thought this was a good way to combine the two and also to get a lot of information out there um, in kind of you know relatively short bite-sized chapters. Um, one thing I, I tried to do in those chapters was to you know, give my opinion on why I thought the uh, particular moment was as important or maybe not as important as others. But also tried to pro- provide some quotes that hadn't been seen or or heard a million times over. So I did a lot of digging, a lot of research, you know, online, other Beatles books. I have just a ridiculous collection here of Beatles books and magazines and and whatnot. So it took me a while to research it. It was originally going to come out in two thousand sixteen, and I'm I'm glad it didn't because there's so much more that's happened in the Beatles mm-hmm. world since two thousand sixteen. Not you know just Mentioning uh, alone all the reissues, the Sgt. Pepper reissue, the White Album reissue, the Abbey Road reissue. Uh, We just missed the uh, Let It Be movie and and, uh, Let It Be reissue, but uh, the movie and the uh, original album is covered in the the book. Uh, It's really sort of my love letter to the band and, uh, you know, helps explain why I love them so much and why I think everyone, if you're a music fan, um, really loves the Beatles. Now you, you love power pop. Is this your number? Is this your favorite band? Is the Beatles your favorite band? Beatles are my favorite band. They're not a power pop band, of course. Wow. Uh, although they I would certainly rock band, right? Well, yeah, they they certainly influenced the uh, genre. Uh, and you know, I've I've heard that old that old uh, thing that's been bandied about. Now the Beatles were a pop band. The Stones were a rock band. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no. Sorry, uh, Stones are a rock band. Beatles were a rock band. Listen to some of those live recordings, especially in the early days. And that's some pretty fierce rock and roll going on there. Uh, Listen to some of Ringo's drumming on on some of the early records, Long Tall Sally, and and, I'm Down, and just mention it. I I mean, they're they're rockers. So no, the Beatles are my, uh, even though I love power pop, the Beatles are my all-time favorite band. My second favorite band is also not a power pop band. And uh, most people wouldn't guess uh, who that second band is but I, I i love the ramones Ramones are probably my second favorite band
0: well the ramones did have a lot of that poppy sound because they were into the girl groups yeah
1: uh, the 50s and early 60s yeah one of the early quotes from dd ramon uh i remember reading was him saying you know we we wanted to be a pop band. We wanted to be a bubblegum a bubblegum band like the Bay City Rollers, but we just couldn't play good enough, so we became the Ramones. <laughs> I thought that was great.
0: But, you know, the Beatles started out as a rough-and-tumble band, you know, going to Germany with all the leather um, before oh, yeah. Brian Epstein, and they put on the suits. So, I mean, th- they were
1: pretty uh, powerful uh, as far as a rock-and-roll band. They were... Then. Yeah, they were they were powerful as a band, and they were four pretty powerful personalities also. Yes. And, you know, another comparison with the Rolling Stones that a lot of people make uh, mistakenly is that, you know, the Rolling Stones came from this rough and tumble background. and The Beatles were up, were upper middle class sort of living in a little bit of luxury, and the exact opposite is true. The Rolling Stones yeah. were the upper middle class ones, and the Beatles were pretty much lower middle class. There was not a lot of money there. Uh, in any of their four homes at all when they were uh, when they were young. So yeah, rough and tumble personally, rough and tumble musically. Uh that time spent in, in Germany and all the clubs in, in England really uh you know kind of helped hone that sound and and as you mentioned, uh Brian Epstein got a hold of him, put him in suits, but he couldn't quite tame John Lennon. I, I don't think anyone could ever quite do that. But uh that's Yoko well, uh, maybe, I don't know. John was still kind of a loose cannon. And, and I say that in, uh, in admiring sort of way. I mean, you know, you always, you know, as I mentioned in, in my first book, John Lennon, life is what happened. You know, John would say whatever was on his mind, he didn't care what the consequences were. Right. Hence his, hence his the Beatles are more popular than Jesus right now. Comment. You know. Which has to be a pivotal moment. That is one of the pivotal moments. I don't remember what number it is, but it is one of the 100. Yes, as is as is Brian Epstein becoming their their manager and, and right. so sort of them up a little.
0: Yeah, they were in fact the Stones are made out to be the bad boys, right? But right. the Beatles were really. I want. I hate the word words bad boys, but uh, you know they were. It, it seemed like the Stones were sort of like. When you met them personally, they were kind of like polite and where Lennon can be, I, I think there's this old story. I don't even know if it's true that one of the turtles went up to him and said how much, uh, how, how much they, uh, how much he influenced them. And he like really told them to fuck
1: off, kind of like right. a, a punk attitude, you know? Yeah, uh, that was in, um, that was in Howard Kalin's, uh autobiography, I believe. Uh, where I think the story happened, I think it happened to him. But yeah, John, you know, John was a very complex personality. One, one minute he could be loving and caring and tender like he was with his son, Sean. Um, and, you know, and also assisting a lot of really uh, wonderful charities and causes, you know, doing the one, um, one-to-one concert in 1972 to help support people with special needs. You know, a lot of people don't know that side of him. They just know the side that would come up to you at any moment and tell you to go piss off because that's also who he was. Very, very complex.
0: Yeah. But what he did for the world with his messages of love and hope and peace. um, I I think, you know, I have a theory that uh, Yoko kind of honed that in his, his psyche. Um, I don't know how much you agree with that, but when Yoko came along, he seemed to
1: embrace that peace and love sort of mantra. It it sort of did happen, uh, happened right around the time that, that he met her, uh, which was 1966. Yep. And I think that also coincided with the fact he was taking a lot of mind altering substances at the time. So the combination of a mind altering substance and a mind altering partner, I guess you could say, uh, yeah, helped to bring about a certain change in John and, you know, some would say a change for the better, some would say not, but you know, who are we really to say, but I can tell you one thing, just kind of a sneak preview of of the, of the book. The number one moment in the book is when John Lennon met Paul McCartney. The number two moment in the book is when John Lennon met Yoko Ono, because oh, I think okay. both of those obviously helped really define the career of the Beatles on, on separate ends almost.
0: Well, she's gotten a lot of slack and I think it's, sort of unwarranted you know i think this is my personal opinion that she made him a better person even Uh, that's just my personal opinion i Uh,
1: would i I, would agree with that i would agree with that yeah she certainly uh helped him him helped him embrace his more sort of wild artistic side which i think was always there it was just kind of buried underneath the, the suit and paul mccartney telling him you know straighten your tie and you know that that sort of thing um but his wild side was was always there and i think in addition to bringing out the whole you know peace and love aspect which now ringo has sort of taken that over and made it his uh, she also brought out his sort of uh wilder side but mm-hmm. you know boy she certainly inspired a lot of great music too you know
0: i think the screen therapy definitely helped uh, bring about some good music.
1: Oh well, yeah. If you listen to the, if you listen to the Plastic Ono Band, yes. album, you know, just reissued this year, that's that's a classic. Imagine is a, is a classic. Every song on both of those records, the pinnacle of of his solo career, really. And that was, you know, done with Yoko's direct influence. Right.
0: So a lot of people diss her, but it's too bad. And I really don't think she broke up the Beatles or helped break up the Beatles. That's my no. opinion. I think it would even without her, it probably would have met some sort of
1: likely end. Oh yeah. You know, it's just and especially back then, um, she was an easy target. Her and Linda yeah. McCartney. They were easy targets. You know, you, you you take the best band of all time breaking up and you take in sort of the inherent sexism that's there with a lot of folks. Oh, the woman did it. Uh, and then you, you throw in the fact that she's an Asian woman and you, you know, there's a little bit of racism in there from some yep. people and it's, yeah, totally un, unwarranted. And, you know, but I think there's kind of been a, uh, revisitation of that over the years. Most people these days don't really seem to vilify her anymore. Uh, it really always was unwarranted.
0: I was never a big fan of her art or her music, uh, or her voice, but, uh, I greatly appreciate her and her relationship with John.
1: Right, right.
0: And do you cover now shifting away from John to Paul? How about the myth of Paul is dead?
1: <laughs> yep, that is that is covered in there. I think we actually oh, might it's significant. Have a, oh yeah. We we might even have a photo, uh, I believe there's a photo in there of the original magazine cover. There was a magazine, a tabloid. That came out at the time with this very yep. sad-looking uh, close-up of uh, Paul McCartney, and you know, I think the big headline of the magazine screamed "Paul McCartney dead" or something like that. Right. It I mean, that was uh, you know it was brought about by uh, I believe a couple of young kids in Detroit. Yeah. I think it was a college radio station, and um, completely ridiculous. But you know, back in the days where people thought you know people thought Claw was was the Beatles, you know they'd be willing to believe anything, and you know, suddenly these quote unquote clues start, start coming out, which are completely ridiculous. My, my favorite uh, quote unquote clue was on the back of the Abbey road cover. There's that Volkswagen with the license plate 28. I, if. Yeah. And everyone said, Oh, well that's because Paul would have been 28 if he had lived. <laughs> well, that's great. Except in 1969, Paul would have been 27, not 28. Right. You know? And so it's just, it was just crazy. And, you know, Paul actually had to come out and I, I, mentioned this in the chapter in the book about the whole Paul is dead myth. Paul had to come out and do a little interview for life magazine saying, you know, I'm very much alive. I'm with Linda and the family. Just leave me alone. Basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you know how Americans have this, well, not just Americans, the human beings have this fascination with conspiracy theories. They, <laughs> oh, don't I know it. Yeah. i love to ride them. Even though in the back of their mind they, I realize they're not true. They they love the entertainment of it.
1: Sure. Um, oh, and there are still things on YouTube where you can you know, go on YouTube and and punch in Paul McCartney dead, and you'll find all these videos with just people who are completely off their rocker trying to tell you that Paul died in 1966 in a yeah in a motorcycle accident, and it's like oh come on man. It's,
0: I have a friend who's in, big into that sort of thinking and. Said that uh, you know with the Illuminati and looked at Sergeant Pepper's cover and said there are signs <laughs> that the Beatles were.
1: <laughs> you know, if That's you look, Illuminati. if you, if you want something to happen badly enough, or you look hard enough, you'll always okay. find something to sort of halfway justify what what you're thinking. I mean, there's the old rumor that Ringo didn't play on any Beatles songs. You know that it was um, the uh, I forget the name his name the soul drummer um famous soul drummer but like you know even Ringo said what was I doing in the studio why why was I there if I wasn't playing drums you know it's ridiculous um there was a reason for everything a reason why
0: Paul walked across the street barefooted you know had something to do with
1: his sandals or something not being comfortable I forgot what the effect Um, well you know his his quote when they asked him you know what why were you walking across the street in a suit and no shoes he said well it was a hot day yeah and that was it it was yeah. a hot day
0: <laughs> sometimes it's that simple it's not complicated like a conspiracy right. there right but but that uh, it's weird because people are often say well it took a while for the beatles to debunk that myth that it actually helped sales of their albums and you know that's kind of true, uh, maybe. I don't know if they waited uh, to do it, but uh, it did help the sales of uh, certain albums.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, any press is good press. That's how the right. old saying goes. So even if you get a bad review or something negative, it, it helps keep your name out there. It, it keeps your name out there, and people are thinking about you, and people are, you know, buying your records or, or whatnot. So.
0: And there's also the debate: what if Brian Epstein lived? And you know, I think. <sighs> I think they were just their creativity was let loose uh,
1: you know in I, good in good and bad ways yeah. you know their, their creativity was let loose, but it also allowed them to make uh which was well allowed them to make which was probably one of the more horrible mistakes of their career, in my opinion, the magical mystery tour film yes. Um, music, music is great, but, but you look at the film and, and, and you, you know, you think Brian Epstein would have never allowed this to happen. Oh, never allowed. I mean, he didn't even want the Sergeant Pepper cover to be, you know, the cover that it was. There was a note that he had written, that I think they found not long after he passed away that he had written to an associate that said brown paper bags for Sergeant Pepper. He didn't want the cover to go out as, as it was. Um, but yeah, Magical Mystery Tour, it was a mess from beginning to end. There was no script, there was no direction, there was nobody leading anything. It was basically, let's take some drugs and go on a bus and see what happens. And it was just crazy. It was craziness. And, you know, a lot of things when, you know, that were done in the 60s, you watch them now. And if they seemed a little weird then, you have a better appreciation for them now after some years have gone by. But I watched Magical Mystery Tour with my daughter a few years ago, and we just watched the whole thing. And uh, after it ended, she looked at me and she said, dad, that was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, as I mentioned in my book in the forward that I mentioned it there, and I said, she was not wrong. It's just a really bizarre piece of work, but yeah, for, for better or worse, I think they would have been different with Brian, um, helming them for the last uh, few years. of.
0: Yeah. That was Paul's baby. And it just,
1: that was one of the times when he was just wrong about something. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the first time really that it proved that the Beatles were not uh, infallible. Yeah, you know, they they could make a mistake, and boy, when they made a mistake, they made a big one.
0: I remember as a kid when I had that album. My sister bought it, and I loved the songs. You know, when you got the American version, and mm-hmm. um, but the cat, the book inside and the the whole thing was just over my head and oh yeah i just yeah. didn't i was like this
1: is just this is too weird for me so just it's still it's still over my head i still don't understand a lot <laughs> of what i are trying to do i i don't know but yeah the music's great and, and you know an, another really bizarre thing about that film and i mentioned this in the beatles 100 as well is that um you know it had all this really sort of psychedelic explosive color and and things going on but when it was originally shown on the bbc on boxing day in 1967 it was shown in black and white so so it totally negated everything as far as you know colors and and psychedelic swirl and whatnot so again you know someone wasn't thinking yeah, he, they jumped the shark there, even though that term wasn't used back then. <laughs> it was pre
0: Fonzie. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but did anyone expect, you know, I was too young, obviously, but did anyone expect in 1970? I mean, look at All Things Must Pass, the popularity of solo Beatles albums. Um, everyone was so upset that the Beatles were breaking up, but then the solo albums,
1: certain ones did quite well oh yeah especially the first uh you know the first several years after uh after the breakup from 1970 till about 1975 76 um yep. you know john was only active from 70 through 75 then he went into his house husband phase until double fantasy just before his death in 1980 uh ringo had you know the first uh, top 10 hit i think of any of the solo beatles with it don't come easy And then he had back off Boogaloo and then the Ringo album was, was a huge hit, a great record still Uh, George, like you mentioned, all things must pass, you know, Paul and John had, um, you know, John had um, plastic Ono band and then imagine, then he kind of went off the rails a little bit sometime in New York city, maybe not as uh, um, not as creatively uh, um, wonderful as uh, we would have liked to have seen from him at the time. But, it's who he was at the time, so that's that's what he put out. And I love of course writing, you know, all of his hits yeah. and you know, another day, and and then the Ram album, and then going in the band on the run, Venus and Mars, you know, becoming with wings one of the top grossing acts of the seventies. It, it was a good time to be a Beatles fan, even just listening to the solo material. I love the first <laughs> <Robert>
0: McCartney <clears throat> albums. They they have this sort of lo-fi indie rock feel to them. Yeah. And that's why they I like them so much. Of course, Wings did not have that. It was more arena rock. But um those two albums are to me, I can listen to them and never get bored of them.
1: Yeah, I would say that Ram is probably my favorite solo Beatles album. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> of of all of, of all of them, really. I mean Ram followed closely by Imagine. Um I, I love All Things Must Pass. Yeah. Uh, there's we a lot of did a, on, a lot of filler on there honestly
0: we recently did a review in goldmine on ram yes uh, the new review, and the there's a tribute album
1: yes there is a um called ram on 50th anniversary yeah. tribute to paul and linda McCartney, and you like that very much too it was it was really good a gentleman named fernando perdomo uh, co-produced it he's an la area musician yeah. who's played with tons of people and he co-produced it with uh, Denny Denny who who is the original drummer on the album and played with Paul McCartney, uh Paul and Linda McCartney for uh for a good while. And so he plays on on everything. And there's some you know guest stars who sing on uh each of the songs, uh including um Rob Bonfilio and his wife Carney Wilson, Brian Wilson's daughter, um, and you know, some other really talented folks as well. So that was it was definitely enjoyable. Enjoyable
0: the moments continue with the Beatles because Paul and Ringo are still alive. Have you seen the Hulu special? With I have not seen it
1: yet. I, I have parts. to my daughter allow me to log on to her Hulu account because I don't have it and she does. And uh she's busy, so I don't really see her as often as I'd like. But I, I need to see it because I've I've heard there's a lot of material in there that he sort of just, you know, rehashes the same old, same old that he's talked about for years but there's nuggets in there that people maybe haven't heard before but you know and it's funny because a lot of people a lot of Beatles fans I've been reading online kind of been taking Paul to task saying "Yo, you know his his memory is not quite right on all these facts like well you know it, it happened like 60 years ago some some of these things he's talking about you know 50 60 years ago how is he expected to remember everything the guy's done a hell of a lot in his life. I mean, he's not going to remember some B-side, you know, that that came out in 1976 or something that people want to have all this information about. It's
0: just, let's face it. The fans know more about the Beatles than they do themselves.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I think Paul has said that, you know, that there's some people who know more about him, but you know, he's also said that a good portion of the Beatles books that are out there are just kind of BS, you know, it's the same old stories, that people rehash but they're not necessarily true. And he hasn't given any specifics, but I'm sure he's correct, you know. It's it's interesting though with the Let It Be film that's coming up. Um I'm sure you've seen the the previews and they've they're sort of taking the tack that it wasn't as horrible of a time as the original film made it out to be and they were all four really great friends and having a great time and they loved doing it and they loved being in the studio and there wasn't all this bad blood yeah i i don't know if i buy that completely i think it's sort of uh a little bit of a whitewash not that that's a bad thing but you know with editing these days you can make unhappy times look a lot happier by just leaving stuff out you know so like like anything else, I think with Let It Be, the truth falls somewhere in the middle. There were good times, there were bad times, um, probably an equal measure. But deep down, the four of them loved each other and made great music together. And that's, that's what matters, ultimately.
0: Well, before we wrap up, uh, one thing seems to be certain that the Beatles, cr- they're timeless. They cross generations. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that will ever end. I think because they were so eclectic, um, they all, it was just one of those, they all seemed to, it was like a magical moment in time that these four people got together and yeah. it was just perfect.
1: Yeah. The stars just sort of aligned perfectly and they continue. And, and I think one of the, uh, one of the reasons for that is the songs, um, They speak to a lot of different age groups still. I mean, I um, I play drums in a Beatles cover band called Let It Be out here in Southern California. I've been doing it for about three or four months now, and it's amazing to see. You know, not many other bands where you can just be playing for random people, and every song you play, people know the words and they're singing along out in the audience. It's just amazing to me that the music just touches so many people across age groups and across culture you know there's you know there's elderly folks there that we have at our shows uh, A month or two ago there's a little 7 year old who came up to me and said how much he loved the beatles you know it was yep. just really really cool and yeah it touches everyone in one form or another the the music and the and the myth and john paul george and ringo the four guys
0: yeah where it used to be a father or parents would turn their children on to the music and pass it on. Now children are just finding it on Spotify mm-hmm. or on YouTube, discovering themselves, which I think is even more precious, but you know, or it can be just as good.
1: Um Yeah, there's just so many, so many different ways to find good music these days. And you know, so many people bemoan the death of the record industry and you know, oh there's no good music out there anymore. No, well there is. You just have to search a little bit, harder to find it. You know, it's it, it, it it's out there. You just won't find it at Target or Walmart. But it's out there. <laughs> well, you can find Beatles, I'm sure, but
0: it's it seems like <laughs> with Beatles, you know, 20 years ago you had Elvis and the Beatles and as far as collectability, right? Now the collectors are Seems like they're collecting less of Elvis, but the Beatles trend continues.
1: Um, Yeah, there's, I mean, and that'll never end either because there's so many variations of of everything the Beatles have released. And, you know, different singles released in different countries and and reissues and re-reissues and re-re-re-reissues. Because
0: they said Elvis was king, right? But I think the Beatles...
1: Or the kings, really? That's sort of a uh, yeah, yeah. they they shared the throne at different times. Let's just say, yeah. You know, Elvis yeah. Elvis was of his time, uh, late fifties, maybe into right around when he went into the army, and then uh, nobody the really sat on that throne until the Beatles came. You know, right. it was sort of a little bit of a fallow, a little bit of a fallow period for uh, for music. You had a lot of the uh, teen idols like Frankie Avalon and Fabian, you know, in that interim who wanted to be Elvis, but just didn't have the talent, but they were trying to be Elvis. Um, you know, not that they weren't talented, but it was just, they weren't as talented as Elvis Presley. Well, Elvis
0: you know, didn't they, help himself in the seventies where the Beatles solo continue to help themselves. Um, yeah. You know, they could have, Beatles could have gotten back together. They were often offered tons of money, right? In the seventies. In the oh,
1: yeah. 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 And Except- I think they would have at some point. You know, they yeah. would have gotten together at some point, you know, even if it was just for a one off, because once the, all the business differences were out of the way, um, there was really no reason for them not to get back together.
0: Hmm. You
1: know, they, they liked each other there, you know, and, and they were, you know, groups of them played together at, at different times. You know, everybody played on Ringo's album, uh, his 1973 self-titled album at separate times, though. But, you know, they, they were all on there um you know the rumor was that john was going to fly down to new orleans and work with paul when paul was recording venus and mars with wings in 74 75 and then at the last minute he ended up getting together with uh getting back together with yoko getting his marriage straightened out and she kind of put the brakes on that that's that's what the legend says anyway so there were opportunities you know and i think uh i think it would have happened i mean the three of them got back together in the nineties to record those new, those new tracks. So no reason why John wouldn't have joined them.
0: Now, maybe uh, you could tell uh, listeners where to
1: get the book when it's released. Sure. Well, the book uh, is available now. Uh, Just was released last week. And you can Um, go uh, to obviously Barnes and Noble. Yeah. You can go to Barnes and Noble. You can go to amazon.com. Um, it's also available on the publisher's website, uh, rare bird, uh, there are signed copies available there. Should anyone require one of those? Um, I think it's also available. I saw it on, on target.com. Somebody cool. sent me a link. So it's pretty much available. Uh, as they say, anywhere fine books are sold. So can I mean, get it from your website. Uh, and you know, if, if people are local here in Southern California, they can get it from me, but otherwise they can just <laughs> order it online. Yeah. I always, uh. You know, my, my publisher told me, always carry a box with you in your car because you never know when you're going to run into somebody who uh, who might need a copy and doesn't want to go online. And so I I do that. I sold two just yesterday doing it that way. So. Well, I'll be getting my copy from you awesome. uh, signed, I hope.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, I'll be proud to put it on my bookshelf. Thank, Thank you so much, John.
1: My uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: And we'll see you in the pages of Goldmine.
1: Yes. sounds great.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: All right, thanks, Pat.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.